So today is July 16th, 2020. For most of you, that probably doesn't mean anything. And really, it shouldn't. But whether you are aware or not, today marks 10 years since the release of Inception. If you've listened to a fair amount of this show, or if you know me personally, you've probably heard me at least mention that Inception is my favorite movie. It kind of tends to come up. So, as you may have already guessed, this is not going to be a traditional episode. Someday, we are going to do a full episode on Inception. Two full episodes, if I can swing that. But for today, I'm just going to explain why Inception is my favorite. And there will be a couple spoilers, so do with that what you will. So, regrettably, I didn't see Inception when it first came out in theaters in 2010, but it is on my bucket list to see it in a theater one day. If any of you catch wind of special midnight screenings or anything like that, please let me know. I remember seeing trailers for it, but being like 11 years old at the time, it wasn't really the kind of movie that kids my age were into. But the first time I saw it was November of 2012, when I was 13. We got the DVD out of the library, and I watched it on a kind of small TV that didn't have great audio. And I liked it. I didn't get most of it, but I thought it was cool. Then I saw it again a few months later, and I think I had basically the same reaction. And then I was given the DVD for Easter in 2014. Not really sure why. In any case, I watched it for the third time in July of 2014. To be honest, I don't remember much of how I reacted on that viewing, but I think it was starting to make sense to me. This is probably true for most of you who have seen Inception more than a couple of times. But I didn't really understand it until about a month later when I read the FAQ page for it on IMDb. For those of you who aren't familiar with IMDb, most movies' FAQ pages have like two questions on them. But for some things like Inception that have a complicated world or a confusing plot twist or a lot of ambiguity or fan theories, the FAQ pages can be quite extensive. After taking an hour and a half or so to read the entire page, I finally had a pretty good handle on what happened in Inception, and more importantly, what it was all about. It wasn't my favorite yet, but I think it became my favorite within the next few months. If you've seen Inside Out, reading that FAQ page is probably the core memory attached to my island of personality for both screenwriting and film analysis. And that leads us to the real reason Inception is my favorite, which is context. The summer of 2014 was a time when I was just getting into screenwriting and writing reviews on IMDb, and when I was starting to question some aspects of Catholicism. The main thing that Inception is about is how ideas take root in our minds, and that played into how I approached all three of those things. In researching Inception and starting to teach myself how screenwriting worked, I realized that storytelling is a way to perform Inceptions in real life. Stories can be used to plant ideas in people's heads, and maybe these reviews that I was really enjoying writing could do that too. So performing Inceptions on my readers became my primary mission with all of my writing. In hindsight, my approach to doing this was both clumsy and kind of just wrong in more ways than one. I'm not even sure if it was well-intentioned so much as it was just a way for me to feel like I was smarter than other people. However, the core concept that stories can have a deep impact on people is something that I've only come to believe more in the following years, and it still is a major reason that I've continued to pursue a career as a writer and a storyteller. And even at the time, I knew that stories really did have the power to change people because all of the ways that I was reacting to Inception were proof of that very thing. In other words, Inception had performed an Inception on me. But something that I realized pretty early on as I was trying to ham-handedly plant Inceptions in my stories and reviews was that before any ideas could take root, the writing itself had to be functional. 
If the story or the review sucked, people wouldn't be receptive to an idea, no matter how subtly or blatantly or intentionally or accidentally it was included. And that tied into some of the things that I was noticing about Catholicism. Because from my observations, the Catholic Church doesn't have an amazing success rate with making pious followers out of people of my generation. I first noticed this in reference to Vacation Bible School, which, for those who don't know, is basically a week of summer camp that centers around Bible stories. I started taking issue with a lot of the way it was run, and haven't been involved with it in any way since that summer. My whole family agrees that this decision is a win for everyone. But at the time, I was a pretty devout Catholic, and I thought that VBS was counterproductive to the church's mission because it turned kids off to Catholicism. In hindsight, maybe it just turned me off. But either way, I was thinking a lot about how Inception defined beliefs as things that had to come from within a person and grow organically, and I noticed that the church didn't really treat them that way. The church treats beliefs more like truths that people should just accept, but they tend to act like accepting those truths will make their followers better people. This I saw, and still see, as incorrect. Not wrong, per se, but it misses the fundamental nature of what beliefs are. Even when ideologies are forced upon someone, that can't make them believe those things themselves. Because, as Inception points out, a belief has to grow from within to actually become a belief. Ideas that form beliefs often have to come from an external source, but that internal processing is what changes them into beliefs. And that internal part can't really be controlled by anyone. My initial reaction to this was trying to figure out if there was a way for the church to present their teachings differently in a way that would be more successful at making people actually care about what they were preaching. But after a while, I realized that what was really happening was that I didn't care. It wasn't that I thought any of it was false or wrong, but church dogma felt more to me like scientific facts than real beliefs. For a time, I resisted this feeling, but it became clear that I was fighting a losing battle. Even if I wanted my beliefs to be aligned with those of Catholicism, I didn't actually have control over that. I could try to remain a practicing Catholic, but that would come at the expense of finding what I actually believed. So by the end of the next summer, 2015, I was moving full steam ahead in my pursuit of becoming a screenwriter, was coming up on writing my 100th review, and it all but pulled the trigger on leaving the church. In a lot of ways, that sounds like an arc. It wasn't a full arc, but change had undeniably taken place over the past year. And to say that Inception caused all of this is a gross overstatement. There were a lot of other factors at play in all three areas. But, as I said before, it did resonate with all of the major changes that were happening with me at the time, so it must have played some kind of role. That was all years ago, and thankfully there's a lot that's changed since then. But if I'm such a different person now than I was at 15, why has Inception remained my favorite? As I said, some of the things it initially inspired me to do aren't things that I'm very proud of anymore. And there have actually been times that I've wondered if I've grown out of it, or maybe if it shouldn't be my favorite anymore. But the thing about a really great story is that it can mean different things to you and resonate differently at different stages of your life. At first, I thought of Inception just as a cool action movie. Then I saw it as a story about changing another person, like how a story can change its audience. Then I saw it as a story about beliefs themselves, then as an infinite trove of world-building details and deeper meanings. Now I see it as a story about how dealing with your own insecurities is a responsibility you have to the people you love. And here's the thing. It's all of those things equally, and even more than that. Because it's also about regret and about grief, and about being self-absorbed and about creating. And it's a story of a man coming to terms with the death of his distant father, and the story of a man who feels like he's failed as a husband. I'm sure when I become a parent, it's going to bring whole new meanings to it. And it's probably even more things that I just don't see. 
It's something I've been able to look at with different levels of maturity as the years have gone by, and I think that's going to continue to be true. And all those things that it initially inspired in me are still evolving, they just look a lot different now. I don't identify as Catholic anymore, but I'm still trying to figure out what I believe and how much I want my Catholic upbringing to factor into that. My pursuit of screenwriting hasn't slowed down one bit in the past six years, and I still want my stories to inspire people, but I've learned to take a less pretentious approach to that. And even though I don't really write reviews anymore, now I have this podcast. And I'd like to think that people get something positive out of listening to it. So even though I don't like looking back at some of the things that my initial reactions to Inception inspired me to do, I like where they've led me and are continuing to lead me. And again, there are many, many things other than Inception that account for those changes, but it still resonates with me and it has kind of provided an anchoring point for me creatively. So, will Inception always be my favorite? That's kind of hard to say. From what I've heard, you're at your most impressionable in terms of tastes around, like, 17, so maybe I'm getting too old to find a new favorite. But then again, Inception didn't immediately become my favorite, so maybe there's something that I've already seen that will replace it for some reason. Or maybe something will come along that's just so mind-blowingly amazing that it will surpass Inception, looking at you, Tenet. Maybe I will grow out of it someday, but even if that happens, I think it's had a positive impact on my life. And that's something that no other movie, no amount of time, and no changes in myself can erase. That's pretty much the end of my personal reasons for why Inception's my favorite. Selfishly, I kind of don't want it to be anyone else's favorite, but that's an immature mindset that I should try to get rid of. In any case, I don't think anyone can relate to Inception the same way that I do because of how big of an impact it had on me and how it came to me at such a particular time. And I think that's true of most people's favorite things. Your favorite song, book, movie, work of art, or even maybe food is likely your favorite for similar reasons. It's something that strikes at the core of who you are, or marks a pivotal time in your life, or maybe you first encountered it on a day that was really special for some reason. And if your favorite thing's your favorite because you just enjoy it, that's fine too. It's your favorite, and no one can tell you that it shouldn't be. Although I have a theory that The Bourne Legacy is nobody's favorite movie, but this isn't the time for that. As I said, Someday we will do a regular episode analyzing everything that's great about Inception. But while I have your attention, and since this is kind of the day to do it, I'm going to list off a few other reasons why Inception's great. Reason 1. It has an airtight plot. People have pointed out things that seem like plot holes, but many of them aren't, or at least they're very small plot holes. Feel free to argue with me on this, but the logic of the movie and the rules of the dream world check out in more than 96% of cases. Reason 2. There's intention and meaning behind its complexity. The most valid complaint that I've heard is that it's too confusing on first watch. But if you take the time to actually examine it closely, it has a lot to offer in terms of deeper meanings, character motivations, connecting moments, and things that generally make it a more enriching experience to watch. And when I say look deeper, I don't mean looking for symbolism like you did for your high school English class. I mean that the questions that the movie raises and the details that you can notice on multiple viewings are things that, if you examine them, will actually add meaning to other aspects of the story. It makes it a lot more fun to watch, or at least it has for me. Reason three, it's thematically cohesive and there's theme layered into almost every facet of it. Inception doesn't just use ideas as non-traditional MacGuffins. It fully explores the way that ideas take place in our minds. It fully explores the way that ideas take root in our minds and how volatile and difficult the interpretation process is to predict and control. And it presents ideas as powerful things. 
Extraction, the process of stealing an idea from someone, is a service that the world's most powerful people and organizations are desperate to take advantage of and defend against. And the inverse, Inception, is something that even the most experienced dream sharers, like Cobb, acknowledge as both difficult to pull off and dangerous if it's successful. Reason 4. It does an amazing job of showing the relationship of creator and audience. It doesn't make any kind of commentary on fan culture, but I think it's an interesting lens to view the role of fan and creator through. The care that the team takes in crafting the Inception is a testament to how deliberate creators should be when creating, and how many factors that they have to consider. But it also shows that no matter how meticulous a creator is, they ultimately don't have control over how their audience will react to what they've created. Fisher isn't brainwashed, rather he's responsible for responding to the idea that the team presents him with in a constructive way. I think this serves as a great call to action for everyone in the entertainment industry to be mindful of how they create art, and for all of us who consume entertainment to be mindful of how we receive it. Reason 5. It's emotionally resonant. Emotional isn't a word that tends to come up in describing Christopher Nolan's movies. It's fair to say that he tends to take a sort of objective view of emotions that only deals with them like they're intellectual concepts, instead of treating them like things that the characters and the audience actually feel. You could argue that Inception is guilty of this, but Cobb's emotional arc is solid and devotes time to that emotion and allows it to be felt instead of just serving a plot function. He's dealing with deep guilt, insecurity, and grief over the death of his wife, and where many action movies would use this kind of emotional wound as a motivator for the hero, usually in the form of taking revenge, this wound actually causes a lot of problems for Cobb and the team throughout the movie. It's only when he overcomes his own insecurities that he can complete the inception, save Saito's mind, and ultimately go home to his family. Despite all the movie's complexity, there's a simple emotional story at the heart of it, that is supported by the rules of the dream world instead of being hindered by them. Reason 6. Its ambiguity isn't a cop-out or a gimmick. To some people, I think the fact that we don't see whether the top falls at the end seems almost cheap. I understand that criticism, but if you look at it from a character perspective, it actually points to a larger truth. What matters more than whether Cobb's in reality at the end is the fact that Cobb is accepting the reality he's in because now he's home with his children and he stopped blaming himself for Maul's death. Nolan has confirmed that there is an equal amount of evidence for Cobb being in reality and in a dream at the end. And with all the meticulous detail that he put into the rest of the story, I see this as proof that he wants Cobb's catharsis to be the point at the end, rather than messing with the audience's heads. Reason 7. It is technically spectacular. Some of you probably know that Christopher Nolan is obsessive about not using CGI in his movies, and prefers to use practical locations, stunts, and effects as much as possible. The rotating hallway scene was made by making a practical set where they built a hallway and literally flipped it around with the actors running around inside it. The same goes for the zero gravity scene and the collapsing dream scenes too. There are shots that do rely somewhat on CGI, but not nearly as many as you might expect. Reason 8. The minor characters are much better than they need to be. To be fair, they're not the most fleshed out, but you can't deny that they have a lot to do. It also helps that they're played by an all-star cast. Arthur gives us Joseph Gordon-Levitt at his most badass, and possibly at his hottest, too. You could argue that Arthur's just there for exposition, but he actually has some subtle contributions to Cobb's arc by calling him on his BS a few times. Ariadne's role is perhaps too expositional and too tied to Cobb's arc, but Ellen Page's performance and the amount of agency and initiative that she has, and her dope architecture skills make her a lot more than just an audience surrogate character. Eames, played by Tom Hardy, is vital to the planning and execution of the Inception, and his role actually gets a pretty good amount of attention considering how Lady comes into the movie. Robert Fisher has a relatively simple arc, 
but the fact that his plot function is essentially that of a MacGuffin makes it pretty remarkable that he has an arc at all. Saito is just a generically ruthless businessman in the first half of the movie, but after he's shot in the first level of the dream, the stakes get raised a lot in a really interesting way that makes the audience invested in whether he's going to live or not. Maul, of course, is the ultimate femme fatale, but there is a bit of a twist to it, since Maul isn't an evil person herself. But as the embodiment of Cobb's grief and guilt, she is an incredibly dangerous force. Yusuf is the smallest minor character, and unfortunately, I think it is fair to criticize him for being written solely for his plot function. But to top it all off, we get a few quick minutes of Michael Caine as Cobb's father-in-law. And who doesn't love some Michael Caine? Reason 9. There are some awesome action sequences. Some of the gunplay is pretty standard, but the collapse of the lower dream levels have such a kinetic urgency and a visceral energy to them that is rarely seen in even the best of destruction scenes. And of course, the rotating and zero-gravity hallway scenes are just as cool ten years later. Top all of that off with some of the best pace cross-cutting ever, and you have yourself one hell of a climax. Reason 10. Hans Zimmer. Reason 11. There might be other reasons that I'm forgetting, but we can save those for the full episodes on Inception. If you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen that throughout the day I've been posting a lot of other nerdy Inception things that I've done. Like a dinner plate that I painted into a diagram tracking every character's journey through the dream world during the Fisher job, my Inception shirt, poster, DVD, computer wallpapers, a pilot I wrote for a prequel TV series about how dream sharing and extraction was created, a 20-page paper that I wrote in high school about how Inception examines the concept of inspiration, my original IMDb review, an article I wrote comparing it to The Matrix, and some brainstorming I've done about a Dungeons & Dragons style role-playing game that's based on the dream world. So this episode is hardly the first or the biggest Inception nerd thing that I've done, and is not going to be the last either. I'll be watching it later today, of course. And again, if any of you catch wind of any special 10th anniversary DVDs or midnight screenings or anything, please, please, please let me know. Also, there have been rumors that Chris Nolan's new movie Tenet might be a sequel to Inception. I don't know if it is, I don't know if I want it to be, but whatever it is, I'm excited for it, and Inception is still going to be able to exist on its own even if Tenet is connected to it. Tenet was supposed to come out tomorrow, but it's been pushed back a few weeks for obvious reasons. No matter when it comes out or what it actually is, you can bet I'll be there on opening night, in an IMAX theater if possible, mask on, and more hyped than I've ever been for any other movie. Time's going backwards and forwards at the same time, and I don't know what that even means, but I'm here for it. That's all for now. I hope you got something out of this, even though it's not the kind of analysis we usually do on the show. But if you want to share stories on why your favorite movie or book or song or whatever is your favorite, I'd be interested to hear them. Maybe we can do something with that on the show someday, but even if not, send them in and don't be shy. I promise I won't judge, and you can hold me to that. We'll be back soon with more episodes, but in the meantime, you can follow the show on Twitter at intanalysis18, and follow me on Twitter at Davos Watson if you want to see just how big of an Inception nerd I am. So until next time, hold on to your totems and dream a little bigger.